Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, I slept with a hammer under my bed. Really? Yeah. I mean, to grow up with being petrol bombed. That's not normal. No, it's not normal. He was shot in the back and then one of the shots was in his mouth. And he's shot in the mouth? Yeah. Hello, my name is Simon Toyne and I kill people for a living. But don't worry, I'm not a psychopath, I'm actually a crime writer. And my murderous thoughts only go as far as the pages of my books and the occasional podcast. I'm also the presenter of the CBS reality television series Written in Blood. And this is the companion podcast. Here, you'll get additional content, behind-the-scenes insight, and much more detail about the cases we feature and the authors I meet. This is the eighth podcast in the series, and hopefully by now you've watched all the episodes, uh, and if not, I suggest you tune into them first, and then have a listen to the podcasts. That way, you'll avoid any spoilers and find out about the stories in the same way that I did. In this episode, I'm joined by Manchester-based writer Marnie Riches. She's someone who knows all about the underworld of her home city because she grew up surrounded by it, and her books tap into those experiences with stories of gang feuds, turf wars, and the lengths gangsters will go to to keep ahead of their rivals. Recording this episode was fascinating for me, as I know Manchester pretty well, because I worked there in my former life as a TV producer and director. But Marnie showed me a facet of the city I knew about but had never really seen before. But before we stroll down those dark streets into the Manchester underworld, let's find out a little bit more about Marnie. When I'm writing, if I've got a deadline to meet, I tend to do two books a year, so it's, it's a busy time for me. So I get up very early. I'm generally awake by 6, 6.30 with the kids. And uh, as soon as I've seen to their needs, I'll start writing. And what I normally find is I'm just chugging away until quarter past 10 at night, but I don't stop until I've hit my daily word count. The editing element of a novel, I hate. I mean, once it's done, it's just like, well, it's done. You know, I've done the novel. That's The editing process always makes it better, um, but it is my least favourite bit. I love the first draft when I'm all about the story and all about the writing. That, for me, is glorious. 
Location's always been a really important thing for me in my writing. I'm very careful to recreate the sights and the smells and the, the grittiness um, and the quirks of a location as accurately as I can for the reader. I think Manchester's a really funny place and the people are really funny people. And, and you often find in hard northern towns, they're quick to rile and they're quick to laugh and they're quick to club together and support each other, which actually you saw during the bombing of the MEN arena. That is typical Manchester. Everybody rallies together in times of adversity. And in terms of a gangster series, it's fantastic because it is chock full of gritty areas that are quirky because of the ethnic communities that have settled there over the generations. And uh, for me, that gives an incredible richness to the stories. So some of my gangsters are Jewish, some are Asian, there's a big Irish contingent, um, there's even um, a, a Chinese uh, meth cook who's, you know, a pharmacist by day. There's no way I could fail to be inspired by what's gone on in real life in Manchester where you've had the Gooch and Doddington gangs um, and at one point where Manchester was earning its moniker as Gunchester, um, the, I think there was uh, 250 acts of violence in relation to the gangs, there was 27 deaths and the leader of one of the gangs was caught with a massive stash of weaponry, so Uzis and submachine guns and God knows what. So when I'm writing about Manchester gangs, I only have to read in the paper or you know watch what's on the local telly to see that this is going on on the streets. I'm inspired by the real deal because it's it's out there. Now all authors borrow things from real life. We're like magpies really, constantly raiding our own experiences for those shiny little details that will make our fictions seem real. We even deliberately go out hunting for them. And for example, I always make a point of traveling on public transport whenever I can, and I keep my ears open in any kind of public situation, you know, cafes, bars, pubs, that kind of thing. Always listening out for any interesting snippet of conversation or anecdote that I might steal. Like most writers, I also base a lot of my characters on real people that I've met and fold aspects of them into my fictional creations to try and bring them to life. And whenever I do this, there's always the mild risk that whatever real-life person I'm referencing might recognise themselves and possibly take offence. But for Marnie, this risk takes on a whole different dimension because the people she writes about settle their scores not with angry emails and Facebook spats, but with guns and knives, and sometimes with uh, baseball bats. As a result, she doesn't tend to borrow directly from life, because, as she says, it's far too risky, but instead she draws on impressions and abstractions of things she's experienced or heard about to capture the essence of Manchester gang life without necessarily needing to pin them to actual details. In this episode, Marnie took me on a tour of Manchester's organised crime hotspots. This included the site of a gangland murder in the notorious Cheatham Hill part of the city, and also the infamous Strangeways prison, where we stood in the shadow of its huge walls, while Marnie told me about her childhood close by and her brushes with the wrong crowd as she was growing up. So when you said you were going to show me the sights of Manchester, I was kind of, I don't know what I was expecting. Old Trafford, maybe, something like that, but uh, 
It looks like very much like you're bringing me to what looks like a prison. No, these are the dreaming spires of Strangeways. Ah, uh, yes, Simon, Strangeways. This is Strangeways Prison, now called HMP Manchester. Is it? But, but we all know it as Strangeways. Strangeways is one of those, well, it's, I mean, it's actually quite beautiful. It is. I mean, I'm sure if you're in there, it probably doesn't Less you have beautiful. a slightly different attitude. Yeah. So why, so why are we here? I mean, obviously, loads of the stories. The yeah. criminal stories in Manchester end up here. Yeah, or in well, a in, my, in my series, in, in Born Bad and the Cover Up, uh, quite a lot of the action takes place in and around the Strangeways area uh, because uh, one of the cash and carry places that you get in the back streets around here, um, that's the kind of unofficial headquarters of the Bodlington gang who run the north side. But on a personal level, um, I grew up a stone's throw from here, so this is very much my old neighbourhood. The Badlands of uh, Cheatham. But that's, I mean, that's, you know, reading your books, that, you know, they really do have that sense of authenticity, that kind mm. of, like, real voice. It's not just kind of tourism. Oh, um, absolutely not. Uh, um, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and uh, on the estate where I lived and my grandparents' estate, uh, the gangs that... that you know, ran the estates and peddled drugs, were also bouncers uh, in nightclubs in town. So this was all a genuine part of my teenagers. Um, so on a kind of meta level on the estates, you've got the kids coming up that are terrible vandals. Um, so in the house where I grew up, um, we were petrol bombed and got our windows smashed and I was chased with a flaming branch. They weren't fearful of anything. Not even the police. No, no, not at all. So, um, you know, when you hear about uh, the antics of the various gangs shooting each other um, over very small infractions, um, that's entirely believable. Hearing Marnie talking about her own childhood set me thinking about how difficult it must have been for her not to be drawn into the criminal world. Because most of our behaviours are learned, not inherited, so if you grow up like she did, surrounded by petty crime and violence and by people not just disrespecting the police but openly at war with them, then those generally become the rules of your tribe. So how do you break away from that? How do you escape from the gravitational pull, the huge pull of your surroundings and set yourself up in an entirely different orbit? How does one kid turn into an award-winning crime writer like Marnie did while so many others barely make it out of their childhood? because of the world of violence they're born into. Well, they may start in the ghetto, you know, within sight of the dream, dreaming spires of strange ways, but, you know, they can end up in mansions down the road in Cheshire hmm. um, or in the So I suppose if you're Sutherland. growing up dirt poor on an estate, yeah. you can see it's that thing, is this is what you can win. Well, you play the game right yeah. and whatever. It's and... OK to be aspirational if you're dirt poor. Hmm. So, but that's often the, the kind of twisted path that it takes, that rather, doing than, rather than doing well at school like I did, so I learned my way out of the ghetto, lots of kids that didn't have that facility and didn't have parents that would push them would think, right, sell a few drugs, do a bit of hard man stuff, you know, knock over a few B&Qs, you know, or do whatever it takes to climb through the ranks, and maybe one day I can have that aspirational way of life and my children will do better. Journalist Pete Walsh, who also appeared in the episode, is something of an expert on Manchester and its gang scene. The modern gangs in Manchester started in the early 80s, a period when the city, like a lot of the North and the Northwest, uh, was undergoing high unemployment, quite a lot of ur urban deprivation. 
and for some reason it developed a peculiar kind of gang culture which developed in other cities later but seemed to happen in Manchester earlier. Um, and these gangs were initially just groups of friends really who'd grown up together on particular estates. A lot of them I think came of age at a time where they were struggling to find work and they sort of grouped together and got involved initially in petty crime. Uh, and that graduated to more serious crime and, and ultimately what led to the reputation which Manchester gained and the, the name Gunchester I suppose was the conflicts between these different groups which developed. This episode told the story of White Tony, one of the many young men drawn into the gangster life. Only his story was slightly different because he rose up through the ranks of the Cheatham Hill Gang, which was the place Marnie grew up. But he didn't come from that area, he came from outside and actively sought out the life rather than being born directly into it. A friend of his from his formative years of crime, Jason Coglin, told us about his early days as a robber in the city. We affectionately refer to Tony as the little fella. That's, that's what we refer to him as, it's the little fella. Well, the little fella who's absolutely ripped to death muscle and he's a paradigm of where the fight lies is in the head. Tony works harder at being a serious gangster than anyone else I've ever known. I don't mean trying to, trying to style it, you can't style that, it's impossible. You're either it or you're not and if you're not you'll be found out very very quickly. And Tony was already smashing it with robberies. He's only two years older than me, Tony. But he's smashing it with robberies. He's running around in this Ford RS Cosworth. Beautiful. How can I get one? What are you doing? What are we doing with robbing security vans? Can I get on board? Well, welcome aboard. I loved it. I was made for it. What beautiful. The whole gangster genre is one that most of us are pretty familiar with through films such as The Godfather and Goodfellas or TV shows like The Sopranos. But when you think about British gangsters, you tend to think about London and the craze because they're the stories that have been told most often. You don't normally think about Manchester. But of course, Manchester, like any big city, has a large population of people, people who work hard and want to play just as hard too, which makes it a ripe environment for gangs to flourish. Because people will always want to have a good time. They'll want to drink and dance and take drugs. They'll want to gamble and have sex. And gangs will always rise up to provide those things because there are vast fortunes to be made. And when someone is making money, there will always be someone else who wants to get in on the action, someone who wants their share, someone who wants to take it away from someone else. So cities, any city, become battlegrounds with different factions vying for supremacy. And like any battleground, there are generals and lieutenants and foot soldiers. And like in any field of war, life expectancy tends to be short. Tony was a very, very uncompromising man. He couldn't come to terms with having a little piece of the pie. Well, if he turned up to, to, have, a, to have a meeting, it was, there's my terms, 
you have on board or you're not. This is not going to be in discussion. And I guarantee you now that that meeting never ended amicably unless that person totally said, right, but alternatively, boom, it was on them, like a pack of dogs. I, a part of me wishes that Tony had been a little bit more compromising and then he might still be with us. But if you present yourself as a very, very dangerous man and 100 times out of 100 you perform, and you get into loggerheads with other serious cats. It's one or the other. One of the things that struck me about this episode was how young White Tony was when he died. Because he'd done so much, he'd risen to the very top of the Cheatham Hill gang, uh, which was you know, no mean feat um, when he was finally gunned down in a pub car park, aged just 23. So the gangster life may have a certain dark glamour um, for both writers and readers alike, but for those who live it, those who live the lifestyle, the price of that glamour is heavy. And gangsters like White Tony may burn brightly, but generally not for very long. But not everyone gets taken down by the life, so I'll leave the last word to Jason Coglin, a man who did manage to get out of the life before it took the life out of him. There's so much, so much that's gone on over the years, over nothingness. But these young fellas, they haven't got that, there's nothing to concentrate on, except their own, their own, um, their own little world, their own little universe. And that, and, and that unfortunately has, has become People are getting clipped here, there, and left and right. And where does it take you? It's not impressive. What's impressive is being able to come along and negotiate. That confidence, that ability to be able to do that. You know, it's, uh, it's not in everyone, and especially in that world. This podcast is the accompaniment to the TV series Written in Blood, which airs on Sunday nights on CBS Reality at 10pm. Please feel free to tweet me any comments or questions you have at Simon Toyne, all lowercase, all one word, using the hashtag Written in Blood, or contact me on my Facebook author page, which is very easy to find because there is only one Simon Toyne author, um, and it's always very nice to hear from you. Next week, I visit Wokingham with best-selling thriller writer Simon Koenig. That podcast will be live immediately after the programme, or you can hit subscribe now to make sure you don't miss it. That's it from me, so thanks for listening. I'm Simon Toyne, and this has been the Written in Blood podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big. 